I'm Julie Hyde, and I believe you can't be a leader of others until you are a leader of self. It all starts with leading you. So if you are ready to be the best leader that you can be, you're in the right place. I'll be chatting to a diverse range of leaders who will spill the beans on their leadership, how they changed the game, insights into their mindset, and how they built the courage and resilience to be a modern leader with impact. Let's get into it. With me today is Peter Baines, OAM, and he is the founder of charity Hands Across the Water, which he established to support children left without parents or family after the tsunami in Thailand. Before that, Peter was part of the elite forensic services group within the New South Wales Police Force for 22 years where he was deployed to Bali after the bombings and Thailand after the tsunami, leading international disaster teams in the identification of those who died. And Peter has now released a new book, Leadership Matters, and that's what we will be discussing today. So welcome, Peter. Oh, thanks, Julie. It's great to be with you. Firstly, can you share one of the most pivotal leadership lessons that has stayed with you and shaped who you are as a leader now? Yeah, I think one of the real clear defining moments about the importance of of leadership was, you know, as organisations and certainly what we did within the emergency services and the police was you you prepare for events and uh, you run uh, simulation scenario training, and you build up capacity for what might come. And and I think in building those programs, the scenario and simulation training, they have to be reasonably foreseeable because if they're not foreseeable, then you lose the engagement of those that you're working with. And so the training that we used to do, our measure was in the number of people who died from incidents. That was just the nature of the work that I did. And uh, so we would look at preparing simulation and scenario training for up to the hundreds of, of fatalities. So to walk into a temple in Thailand where there was three and a half thousand decomposing bodies on the ground in one place, that for me was a yeah, a real defining moment around the importance of leadership mm. because it was so much beyond anything that we'd prepared or trained for and uh, there was no procedures, there was no rules, there was no handbook and, and it really came down to leadership and the importance of of leaders making decisions. And And I think uh, when I look back, it was it was that moment where I said leadership really does matter. Yeah, which is, of course, the title of your book. So... I just can't imagine being confronted with something like that. Training, you know, all your preparation just really couldn't prepare anyone for that. So was there anything that you did to, I suppose, dig deep into your resilience to help you get through that? Because my mind goes everywhere and it's like, how did you protect your mental health in a situation like that? Yeah, I think there's there's a number of key things from a leadership point of view that the Australians did and the leaders did. And, and the first is that you've got to act with speed. You know, when there's opportunities that exist to make a difference, no matter what field you're in, 
You know, if we talk about business, if you if you wait until you have all of the answers to all of the questions, if you wait for certainty, then you'll miss the opportunity. You'll miss that gap in the marketplace and someone will move before you. So I think it's about having the courage to move and make difficult decisions. I think it's about the importance of presence of leaders and You know, we can reflect on a crisis that occurred on a home front and we look at our leaders on a state basis and a national basis through the pandemic and those, whether we agreed with them or not, the fact that they were present. We can look at our leaders both nationally and on a state level through 2019 and 2020 bushfires and and I'm from New South Wales and our Premier, Glady Berejiklian, was an outstanding leader because she was present. You know, it wasn't her job to to lead the response. It wasn't her job to coordinate the fire agencies or to be on the ground, but she was present. And that's what we want from our leaders. And then we compare that to our federal leader at the time, Scott Morrison, who decided it was an appropriate time to head to Hawaii for a holiday. And, you know, what that said about him as a leader, how he dealt with that, how he responded to that, you know, I think he was unelectable after his actions there. And so I think they're the important things of leading, not through crisis and disaster solely, but leading through times where there's opportunity, where there's challenge. It could even be unprecedented growth that we're faced with, that we need strong leadership. And and then the second part of your question was around, well, how do you protect yourself? And I think it comes to that point of on an organisational level and on a personal level, of having a real clarity of purpose around why you do what you do. Because if you're really clear when you're presented with challenges, either on a business level or on a personal level, it's easier to make those informed decisions. And for me, I was there to provide answers to families. And those answers was identifying their loved ones and returning them home. And and Julie, like all of us who worked in that environment, had spent our careers working in the forensic area. And, you know, for my work for, you know, 20 years, if I wasn't investigating or exposed to or involved in, in some way, death on a weekly basis, it was an unusual week. So to turn up into Thailand, what we were confronted with was just something much bigger than we'd ever been exposed to before. But on some level, those of us responding had experience in that area. It takes a special person, I think, <laughs> to do that. So tell us a little bit about your book, Leadership Matters. And um, I don't know if you can sort of condense it down into a, a bit of a nutshell about what it's about and how it will help leaders. Yeah, so it's my third book. And I guess the reason I wrote it was I was presenting at conferences about 12 months ago, this time 12 months ago, after having come out of the, the pandemic and and I just saw how the stories that I was sharing around resilience, around courage, around taking on risk rather than trying to avoid it, around the strength of leadership, I saw how that was resonating with the audiences. I saw their response to what I was presenting. I heard from you know the leaders of business that I was working with who were saying those key messages were so important and so timely. So I decided that, you know, I felt that that was a good reason and good time to write the book. And the book, Leadership Matters, it's filled with stories and insights for leaders, achievers and visionaries. You know, it has the observations from some of the crisis and disaster days when I worked in 
because it wasn't just Thailand and Bali. I worked in Japan and and Saudi Arabia. I worked for Interpol leading an international counterterrorism project. I worked for the UN Office of Drug and Crime in a capacity building through Southeast Asia. And so I bring some of those insights into the book. And then it's also, as you mentioned in the intro, the last 20 years I've been involved in leading the charity that I started after the tsunami. And, and there's some incredibly remarkable people that I've worked with in that time. You know, I've taken uh, some of the lessons that I've I've learned personally from working with them and shared them in the book as well. Wonderful. And I'm not surprised that people are resonating with your messages. And I think from what I'm seeing, a key component in your book is about resilience. And that seems to be something that is a really hot topic now for leaders. And yeah, I am speaking very generally here, but it seems to be something that appears to be lacking in people. People speak very specifically about the younger generation in that respect. So w- what do you think is key in terms of building resilience? And is it something that someone just has or is it something that people can build? I'm really keen on your thoughts about that. Yeah, I think it's closely related to another topic in the book where I talk about the the desire of parents raising kids, the desire of organisations, of community groups, of government is to look at how we can avoid risk, how we can protect ourselves. And, and the thing is, though, when we don't learn to manage and take on risk, then when we're presented with it, we don't have that skill. We don't have that muscle memory. We don't know how to deal with risk. And and I think resilience comes from facing challenges and dealing with challenges. And I I think we we, we become so risk adverse is that we deprive our kids, we deprive, you know, those in organisations of growing because we grow through learning. You know, and when we say, oh, well, don't do that, let's not do this, this might happen, well, then how do we know? How do we, where do our innovators and our creators and our artists and our pioneers come from if we say don't take on risk? True leadership is around facing challenges and setting directions that that haven't been faced or haven't been travelled before. You know, otherwise, if we're following policy and procedure in a set direction, well, that's management. You know, leadership is about having the courage to to be okay with making decisions and getting them wrong and taking on risk and getting it wrong. I think as a society, as organisations, we forgive leaders who have the courage to make difficult decisions and get it wrong as long as they own it. And I saw this in Bali where we had to send one of our most senior police officers home because he was so fearful of making the wrong decision He didn't make any decision. You know, we would have been better if he made a decision and got it wrong. But, you know, your question around resilience, and and you're right, it is spoken about a lot, and I speak about it and I reflect upon it a fair bit in the book. And I draw upon a woman that fundamentally changed my life and who I met in 2010. And this woman by the name of Mei Phil was running a home for kids in the northeast of Thailand these kids, many of whom had HIV and many of them faced significant challenges and 
She lived in quite a remote area and part of that was to create the privacy and security of the kids. But one of the things running a charity I know is that if people can't see you, then it's hard for them to support you. So by being remote, by not being seen, by not being out there, not having the kids known to people, she wasn't able to raise enough money to support the kids. And many of the kids couldn't access the public health care system for them to be treated for their many illnesses that meant they had to go through the private health care system, which was expensive. Over a period of, of some 24 years, Mayfield would lose children through, you know, through HIV and related illnesses and die. And, you know, over that period of time, she would tell me that she buried 1,027 children. And so when we talk about resilience, you know, I say, how do you, you know, and there's a lot of people who talk about resilience who, you know, with respect, I think have no idea, you know, about challenge when I compare it to Mayfield. And it's not a bad week or a bad month. Mayfield lived this 24 years. And, you know, it's something, it's a, it's a big, big question to ask is how do you, how do you continue to wake up and how do you continue to do what you do each day when the children in your care continue to die? And HIV is it's not a medical problem. It's one of poverty. And she was faced with the decision of who would she give the limited medicine to because she didn't have enough to give to all and she had to decide who would receive the medicine. And the problem with HIV as a virus is that if you go on and off the drug, it builds a resistance so it gets stronger. So then you need more medicine to overcome and combat the virus. And, and she would lose children. And, you know, it was part of writing the book this year. Like I've known her and worked with her for 13 years and, and part of the joy of writing the book this year was it gave me reason and time to really sit and pause and think about her on a level that because of our busy lives I probably hadn't done enough of before. And, and I thought about that and I thought, how do you, how do you continue to do what she was doing? You know, it's not just a tough month or six months or a year or two. This went for 24 years, but she continued. And, and you know, from a resilience point of view, like in the book I put down a number of reasons how I think she was able to continue. And, and I think the biggest was that she didn't let yesterday define her tomorrow. And because if she woke up with the burden of yesterday, how could she possibly move forward? You know, the nice end to that story was when I met her in 2010 and and we decided that we could work together. The charity I run decided that we would support her and her children and we would assume all responsibility for her running costs and the medical costs. And, and something remarkable happened by 2012 and that was the kids stopped dying. And it was just a simple case of providing her with the, the needs that she had. And so when I talk about resilience and when I reflect on people who have lived a resilient life, a few stack up to what Mayfield has faced. And for as long as I've known her, she's battled cancer herself. And, and I've seen her in highs and lows. I've seen her desperately ill. There's many times where I've said goodbye, not thinking I'll see her again. 
but yet she finds it within herself to continue for the children. And in the book, uh, you know, I look at what are the things that I, I believe have allowed her to continue. And I think, you know, we'll go through our personal challenges, privately, business-related. They might be related to family or relationships. And, and I think, you know, some of the lessons that I reflect on from her, I think, equip us well to deal with our own challenges. And so... She's a remarkable woman, and as I say, it was a real pleasure to take that time and reflect upon her. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that story. It really it puts life into perspective, doesn't it? Like you say, you think you're having a bad day or a bad week and you're like, well. Yeah, and I don't think it's, you know, it's, it's one of the things that, you, you know, I've been exposed to loss on a pretty significant level. You know, I met this remarkable woman who who lost her th- three children and uh, over a period of months I returned each one of them to her and, you know, it's a kind of loss that most people thankfully will never face and, and I don't think it takes away then from our own challenges and I think it's always needs to be taken with caution when we say there's perspective because I think our own loss is our own loss. You know, just because it's not on the scale of of losing multiple children or it's not on the case of Mayfield, I don't know that it serves us well to say, you know, well, someone's doing it worse. I think it's about finding the mechanisms and what works for us and, and acknowledging and embracing the challenges because if we dismiss them, well, we haven't solved anything at all. Yes, and I do agree with that. I find hearing stories like May's incredibly inspiring and it enables me to dig deeper when I am going through a challenge myself. So if I am going through a challenge, you know, because I'm going through a health challenge at the moment, I will seek out these kinds of stories because it does just inspire me and it motivates me to just dig deeper because I I truly believe that we can dig deeper, deeper than we ever thought that we could possibly. So if you choose to, I think. Yeah. You know, the thing for Mayfield was, as I said, not letting yesterday define her tomorrow, but also her hopes being greater than her fears. And I think it's so important that when we you know, when we're facing challenges is that, you know, we can't change what's happened, but we can change what happens next. And yesterday can become a burden for us. And that's my reflection on looking at Mayfield and what she's done. And, you know, those who have I've worked with in those areas who have suffered and endured so much. Yes, absolutely. So, Peter, I could I could speak to you for hours, I think. (laughs) I would love to give you the floor to sort of wrap up our podcast in that what do you think is true leadership now and what do you believe are the key attributes that leaders will need to move forward with into the future? 
Yeah, I'm not sure that there's a lot of change over current times. I think that or the future, I think there's some pretty consistent things in in what we're looking for our in our leaders. It's honesty, it's integrity, it's presence, it's a courage to make decisions, it's the it's the willingness to own the outcome of our decisions, right or wrong. And I think, you know, sometimes leadership can be the complicated or, you know, like I think when we, when we look to what we want from our leaders, it's about them demonstrating that they care and they understand. I think it's about, you know, them asking, how can I help? I think it's about them listening and consulting and enacting on that. And I don't know that it's too too different to what leaders of past generations or future generations, you know, have embraced. I think it's, you know, we don't need to overcomplicate it. I think it's just, as I say, that care and understanding and presence. Yeah, I love that. I love the word presence too. I think it's incredibly important. So... Peter, thank you so much for being part of leading you today. And on the show notes, I have got all the details as to where you can get in touch with Peter, his charity, and get a copy of his book as well. So thank you again. My pleasure. Good on you, Julie. Thank you. Thank you. 